All right, if we can get back to our seat. All right. Well, it's definitely been great to be back with you. Every time I'm here, I see new people, which is part of the fun of being a part of a church plan. I'm definitely excited that you're here. If you're like, you're not Dan, I am his better looking brother, Gage. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, my name is Gage Jordan. I'm an intern at Christ Church Conway, one of the sister churches there, about 30 minutes north of here. Currently going through the ordination process. Got about five classes left in seminary. Praise the Lord. And um, had the opportunity to come and preach here once a month. Give Dan a little bit of a break and, and get um, opportunities to share the word with you. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, we had the opportunity to go on vacation this past week to New Orleans. Anybody ever been to New Orleans? I would have gone broke, eating all the food. If I ever lived there, it would be a bad situation. I would have gained 30 pounds in the first week, had no money because I would have eaten all the gumbo and all the seafood <laughs> and everything else. Um, definitely love, love being there. We got some friends. Um, her dad's the preaching professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and so we get to stay on campus and only have to pay for food and fun. It's my kind of vacation where you don't have to spend half your budget on stay. Um, it was definitely great, especially since they live there, because you feel like you got your own little personal tour guide, right? And they're like, okay, you need to see this, you need to go eat this, you need to stay here, all that, all that fun stuff. Uh, one of the things we got to do while we were there, though, is a ghost tour. Now, before you, you, you freak out and the preacher's talking about the ghost tour, um, it was like 90% just history about the French Quarter and really about 10% of the guy going, and I've heard that if you go in this room, right, um, there's tons of these and I felt like I missed my, my hustle, but um, while we were there, I'm a huge history buff, so I loved it, right, and... Uh, the thing that kind of the big takeaway that I observed in the French Quarter, um, saw lots of things, um, but <laughs> the biggest like observation is there is so much going on under the surface of the French Quarter that you really you have no idea. People were just walking by it, right? Anything from you know, plaques and engravings and statues and historic landmarks. I mean, it's a 300-year-old city, so there, there's French history and Spanish history and American history and there's Catholic history and there's all sorts of things going on in these four or five blocks of the French Quarter and there's so much happening at one time that just everybody's just walking by, unaware of really what's happening underneath the surface. On top of that, the French Quarter is filled with broken people. I mean, people that are, you can tell, are doing all they can in the way that they act, in the way that they carry themselves, in the way that they dress, that just wants you to say, like, someone pay attention to me, someone please care about me, right? That's all it kind of screams when you see them. And then inside of that layer is the homeless. I mean, folks just laid out in the street trying to get a few hours of sleep or camped underneath an overpass. 
there's so much that it was happening at one time underneath the surface and the majority of the tourists and the citizens and people just walked by it every single day unaware. Well, as we get into this text, the third part of our study on spiritual warfare, as we continue to look at the armor of God, uh, much like New Orleans, there is so much happening under the surface every single day in the mundane, in and out, that we oftentimes, even as Christians, are absolutely unaware. We're totally oblivious and don't realize things like what Paul tells us, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that these are the things that surround us every day. And so oftentimes we are absolutely unaware And as we continue to look at the armor today, I want us to to make two big observations leading into our study of the passage. The first observation that I want us to understand is we are at war. That there's a reason you have to put on armor. There's a reason that Paul uses this language. And it's, it's not by coincidence that he floats in and out between life inside the body and life outside in the world. And he spends an entire chapter previously talking about marriage and children and interacting with others in your house and in the world around you and then transitions that into, and you're at war, right? Because oftentimes when we think, Things are just going on in and out of our our lives. We're totally unaware of the spiritual battle that is taking place. So the first observation I want us to see is that we're, we're at war. That because we are in Christ, we have taken on the fight to push back against these authorities and powers and cosmic rulers in the heavenly places. The second observation I want us to see is that God has given us everything that we need for this battle and this war that we're in. As Paul is writing, it's important to understand that he has passages in the Old Testament in mind as he writes this. This isn't a new idea by the Apostle Paul, but he has passages like Isaiah 59. I want to read for you verses 14 through 20. It says this, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream 
which the wind of the Lord drives, and a Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So here, that's the backdrop, and that is what's in mind as the Spirit moves the Apostle Paul to write the passage that we're going to look at and that you've been looking at the past couple of weeks as we dig in here that we are at war and God has given you everything that you need. We're going to see four things today as we look at the armor, four pieces of this armor that we're going to deal with. We're going to look at the shield of faith. We're going to look at the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. The shield of faith the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. We're going to start, actually, we'll only deal with verses 16 through 18, the first part today, but we'll actually back up and read all the way to 14, and read 14 through 18 in Ephesians chapter 6. Please follow along with me. This is the word of the Lord. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, and supplication. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for central prayers. I thank you for the work of your kingdom that you are developing and establishing through your people here in Little Rock. Would you please continue to bless central prayers? And please, give us eyes to see and ears to hear from your word today. Help us understand the passage that we are studying. Help me to remember the things uh, that I have looked at. And please, do the thing that I can't do. And speak to hearts. And raise the dead. And strengthen by your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first part of the armor that we see today is... The shield of faith. Notice what it says, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Notice the the time stamp that's put here. In all circumstances. It's not, not when things are going bad or when things are going good and you want to make sure they stay good, so you want to take up the shield of faith. Or, I want to make sure I have enough faith. It's not quantitative, right? It is in all circumstances. When things are good, when things are bad, when things are blah, when things are okay, when, when life is mundane, when life is stressful, when life is good, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances. And then, in this time stamp that he gives us of an ongoing aspect of taking on the shield of faith, he then gives you an ongoing imperative or an ongoing command to take up the shield of faith. This word take up is used multiple times, but in particular when it comes to the idea of weaponry, another way of putting this is put on the shield of faith, which makes sense because he's used that, that phrase multiple times up to this point. It's this idea that you are equipping yourself 
with armor, right? So you're supposed to take up this shield of faith. You're supposed to put it on. It's not situational. It's a faith that is applicable in all circumstances. And, and why are we to put on this shield of faith? He tells you so that you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. It's important here to understand, as probably has been mentioned already, Paul here in house arrest, writing to the church at Ephesus, has spent probably a lot of time staring at this soldier that he may have even been chained to. And he's using the armor of the soldier here as a metaphor to help us understand the different aspects of armor that God has given us to be able to fight back Satan and his minions and his devices and his temptations and accusations and everything else. And as he's going through here, he gets to the shield and he has this in mind. See, the Romans and their army would have had two types of shield. There would have been one shield that we're all kind of familiar with. If you've ever seen a good action movie where there's a sword fight, right, and there's knights and they're going at it or, or, or whatever, or ladies, um, what's the, the romantic comedy where he's a knight and he, and he rescues and he's fighting the guy that played Joker? You know what I'm talking about. So, Heath Ledger, the romance novel, there it is. Nice tail, thank you. So, I was trying to be relatable. And, okay. So, you're used to seeing this shield, this short shield, right, where there, there's a sword fight and you're, you're kind of going back and forth. That would have been hand-on-hand combat. That would have been one-on-one -on -one fighting that would have happened as they were advancing into a city or, or advancing on the field. Then there's a second type of shield, and this second type of shield is actually what Paul has in mind here when he's writing this to the church at Ephesus and to us. <coughs> this shield would have been about six feet long, anywhere from six feet to nine feet long, and anywhere from three to five feet wide. It was a wall. Mm. And the, the intent and the idea is to cover the soldier in every aspect possible. And this is the shield that he has in mind. This is the word that he uses when he says for you to put on the shield of faith. Put on this faith that covers you from head to toe. That protects you on all sides. Put this type of shield on. It would have been the shield that they used and it was most effective in community when they would stand side by side together holding their shields that would cover their front, their back, the sides, and overhead. And the, the intent was as they were advancing down the, the battlefield or advancing in to take over a city, it would feel like an entire wall or a block against anything the opposition could bring to you. And in particular, they oftentimes would put leather on the front of this shield and they would soak it in water for the intent to anticipate the fiery darts that were going to be coming at them so that the moment that the dart hit the shield, it would just go out, right? It would, it would be extinguished. That's the, the idea and the thought at play here when Paul tells you to put on this shield of faith that you may extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. He's using very descriptive language and helping us understand here. But notice also 
the beautiful picture of community at play here in this analogy. It's not just a, a shield that you have that you're standing out by yourself. It's a shield that's most effective when you're standing side by side with others in this fight. This isn't the first time I've mentioned this to you. It's not the first time we've seen this in this letter. Paul again wants you to see and understand that your faith, your walk with Christ, everything about who you are as a believer is inextricably tied to one another. That your, even your shield of faith, the thing that is going to protect you from the fiery darts of the evil one, is best equipped when you're standing side by side with those in the church. Do you see that? So, here, Paul uses this beautiful analogy of a shield to help us understand. And notice what he says here, though. He says, put on the shield of faith. He doesn't say, put on the shield of the faith. There's a, there's a little distinguished difference here with that article, and here's why. When we're talking about our doctrine, the things that we believe, the things that, that we hold to, the things that make us who we are in, a, in our faith as Christians, we're talking about the faith. Here, this is a different word that's used, and the word that's used here has the connotation, the idea of our trust and our confidence in Jesus Christ. That everything about what we're doing in this battle against Satan's attacks and his temptations and his pushback and his accusations and anything else that we could face from him is protected and shielded by our, by our trust and our confidence in the King himself, Jesus Christ. This protection has been given to us to fight against Satan, our confidence in the King. Our faith extinguishes the darts of the evil one because we have one who shuts his mouth. We have one who, as 1 John tells us, has come to destroy the works of the devil. And John goes on to say in chapter 5 that although the world lies in the power of the evil one, that we have overcome the world. And how have we overcome the world? By our faith. See, it's our confidence and our rest in Jesus Christ alone that gives us every bit of protection that we need anytime anything from Satan ever shows up. And any time that we fall and any time that we falter and every time that we fail and we think, how did this happen? It's because we lost our confidence and our trust in Christ. Not in the sense that you've lost your faith or lost your salvation, but in the sense of like Peter when he took his eyes off of Jesus and started to drown. It's this idea that if we rest and find security in the one that is better at this than we are, if we recognize that it's his armor that we are putting on to begin with, we then can fight the lies of the evil one. Think about a few areas where we've seen this. Genesis chapter 3, our first parents fall because they aren't resting in the confidence of what God has told them, but in that moment they start to kind of doubt. Well, did God actually say that? 
Or they start to add to it like legalism. Well, he, not, he didn't just say don't eat it. He said don't touch it, right? And in that moment, they were losing their confidence and trust that Jesus had them and they had fall victim to the temptations of the devil. Or again, we see in Zechariah chapter 3 that Zechariah has a vision of Joshua the high priest and Satan is there getting ready to accuse Joshua because Joshua can't enter into the presence of God because he's got filthy garments on. Sound like a familiar parable? And as he's standing before the angel of the Lord with filthy garments, the accuser gets ready to open his mouth and it says the angel of the Lord tells him to be silent before he even opens. And he says that this is a brand plucked from the fire and no one can take him out of my hand. That's the confidence, that's the rest, that's the security that is found in this shield. That we have one, a better Adam, who answers every single accusation and says, but he's mine, but she's mine, but I've bought them. Their trust and their hope is in me. Be quiet. But not only do we have confidence and trust in Jesus to protect us, we have the helmet of salvation. This use of salvation as a helmet is used several times, both in the passage that we read in Isaiah and again in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul's going to use this analogy again. The, the idea here is just as a helmet is positioned on your head to protect you from a fatal blow, so our salvation does the same thing. And it does it in such a way that, it, that it's twofold. This helmet of salvation here gives us both an assurance and a rest. Again, just like our faith. It's assurance because by our salvation we are declared righteous, as we saw that we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're declared pure and forgiven and holy and blameless before God because of the blood of the Lamb. But also, we're giving rest in the fact that this salvation is secure. It doesn't go away. And it is the very helmet that belongs to the God of the universe. Going back to our Old Testament references, it's the Lord who brings salvation by his own arm. Right? This isn't a helmet that we have to hope to hold on to. We have to make sure that's strapped on tight, that if we don't have all of our stuff together all the time that at some point this buckle is going to come loose and this helmet's going to fly off. This isn't a helmet that you can lose. This is a helmet that was securely placed on your head before the foundation of the world, right? going all the way back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a helmet that was given to you that belongs to the God who spoke the world into existence. So when he says things, it's final. It's the angel of the Lord who declares Joshua pure. It's the angel of the Lord in Zechariah 3 who gives Joshua new garments and says he's a brand plucked from the fire and holds him in his hand. Regardless of what Satan may accuse us of or regardless of what he may say that is true about us, because of what Jesus has done, you are pure, forgiven, blameless, and holy if you have put your confidence in the finished work of Jesus. When Jesus declares something, it's final and secure. So this helmet protecting 
the most vital part of our existence, right? Protecting us from any fatal blow that we now have eternal life because this helmet has been placed and sealed on our head. But not only that, not only is it an assurance, it's a rest. This is a protection here from any mind games that Satan could play with us, and he often does. Any anxiety that you have, any fear that you experience, any doubt that you often have that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, any sort of doubt you have about who you are in Christ, any doubt that you have about who God has made you to be, all the things all that you think, all the wrestling that you have, all the struggle that you experience, and the mental games that we so often play and struggle through, here you have a salvation that speaks a better word than anything else could over you. You have this secure rest piece of armor. But here, we not only see we have two pieces of defensive armor, we then get the first of two weapons to fight in this war. We see the sword of the Spirit. Notice what he says in verse 17. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Here, Paul tells you exactly what this sword is. It is the word of God. We don't have to parse out the metaphor and try to figure it out. Thank goodness he tells you the sword that you have in your hand to fight is the word of God. And it's important here to understand the word usage that is used here. This is rima, not logos. This word, 90% of the time, logos is what's used when we see the word of God talked about. But this word, rima, here has a different connotation. It has the um, idea of specific phrasings or sayings from God. This is what um, is spoken of and articulated when Jesus is tempted by Satan in Matthew 4. Satan rolls up to him after 40 days in the wilderness of our Savior not eating and says, hey, why don't, why don't you turn these rocks into bread and feed yourself? And what does he say? Man can, does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. It's a specific verse in Deuteronomy that he uses to fight Satan. Specific scripture, specific sayings, specific words from God. And then again, Satan says, okay, I also know the scripture, and I know that there, there's a passage in the Psalms that tells you that he's not going to let your foot slip. So why don't you jump off this high, high point and let the angels catch you, and then everybody can see how miraculous you are, and things will go a lot easier for you. And what does he say? You're not to put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, going back to a specific verse in Deuteronomy. And finally, Satan just kind of tries to go for the haymaker and says, I tell you what, Jesus, if you will worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And he shows him all these kingdoms, and he tells him, away with you, Satan. And he again, a third time, quotes Deuteronomy to shut down 
Satan. Here our Savior is giving us an example on how to fight the enemy. You fight him with the word of God. It's the reason that the word calls you to memorize it, right? How can a man keep his way pure by meditating according to your word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And time and time again, the scripture tells you how to defend yourself against Satan and temptations by memorizing the scripture. This is so often where we fall, right? This is where our first parents fell and not articulating the commands of God. This is where often we fall to Satan's temptations because we show up to the battle with no weapon. We show up with our ideas and our logic and our emotions and our might and then we get whooped and we don't know what happened. We're just like the sons of Sceva in, in the book of Acts. They see Paul able to shut down the demons and shut, shut their mouths and cast out and give life back to people and they go, I want to do that too and then they try to do it themselves in their own might and what happens? The demon says, okay, Jesus I know and Paul I've heard of who are you? And then they whoop them. But not only, and here's how you know the Bible isn't boring. Not only do they whoop them, they beat them naked. Now listen, I only got into a handful of fights as a kid, right? Because I'm a short dude and I knew my limitations. But if you get whooped naked, if dude beats the brakes off of you and your clothes, that's whoops, son. That's beat down. Like, you don't come back from that. There's not like, well, and he got a couple of good licks in. No, he beat your clothes off, son. But that's, that's what happens. We so often show up and we are hit with these fiery darts of the evil one. Doubt and insecurity and fear and distrust and anxiety and depression. We're hit with all these accusations about how we're not good enough and we're not because Christ is the one that is good. And we're, we're not strong enough and we're not because His power is made perfect in our weakness. And we're hit with all these things all the time and we show up to this fight with no sword. This is why you have to memorize the Word. Right? Because no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. But he is faithful that he will not give you more than you can bear. And what? Provide the way of escape. How does he do that? By giving you the word. The way of escape is found in the one that defeats Satan. That puts his, head, his heel on his head and presses down and shuts him up. We have the very word of God. This is what Luther meant when he wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. And he says that though there are many devils, there is one word, one little word will fail him. One word shuts him down. And what is it? It's the very word of God. That's not, only, that's not the only weapon that we have in this final part of the passage in this second weapon that we're given we're given prayer notice what it says at the beginning of verse 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication notice the key aspects of this section at all times 
in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. At all times. Again, it's the, the same call to action of this time stamp that in the same way that you're to put on the shield of faith in all circumstances, you are to pray at all times. They go hand in hand. That your faith is protecting you as you're praying to the one who can give you guidance and love and who speaks a better word over you. And in the Spirit. This isn't some sort of secret sauce that you've got to try to figure out, right? This goes back to our, our time last month when we looked at what it looked like to walk in the Spirit, right? This isn't something secretive. Praying in the Spirit is simply what you do because you have the Holy Spirit. So when you pray, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit is both assisting and advocating for you. And then you have the Son who sits on the throne and hears the prayers from the Spirit and advocates to the Father on your behalf because He has made sacrifice for you. Romans 8 talks about this, right? That we don't know how to pray as we ought. So, so the Spirit groans. We groans too deep for words. That the Spirit takes our prayers, even those moments, as weak as they are, and says, hey, I got this. Here's what they need. And Jesus says, yep, I paid for that. Father, this is what they need. And the Father says, hey, I love to give you good gifts. Here you go. Every single time. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And then it says, with prayer and supplication. So this is really cool. Because no, this isn't a redundancy. He isn't just talking about different um, ways to say the same thing. He's talking about one, prayer, and then supplication. Supplication is request. And this is really cool because... You have this thing in the back called a CBR journal. And when you open up the CBR journal, it gives you what? Four sections of prayer. And I'm so thankful that Dan and Central Press does this for us because it teaches us how to pray. That you pray prayers of adoration. And you pray prayers of confession. And you pray prayers of thanksgiving. And then you make your request known to God. Right? Right? That you don't sh show up like a spoiled little kid and just go, okay, is this what I need? All right, thanks for that grocery list. I'm out. I'm going to try to figure this out. No. You thank him for who he is. You praise him for what he has done. You confess your need for a Savior. And then, because he loves you and he gave himself for you, you then say, Dad, this is what I need. How many of us as parents, if we knew our child needed something, not just a video game or something else, but actually legitimately needed something, would not move heaven and earth to try to make it happen? How much more is that true of the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, who invites you to come boldly to the throne of grace? That at any given moment, all you have to do is say, Lord, help, and he's there. This last weapon we so often overlook. We so often underestimate the weapon we have here in prayer. But look and see how much prayer is in the lifeblood of the church in every epistle, in every letter 
Notice in every book of the Bible how often we're invited to come and pray to God. We're given the Spirit who will guide us. We're giving prayers and examples on how to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We have literally how to pray in the scriptures. This is your weapon. And I close the two stories. First, I had a mentor um, early on in my ministry who was a tank commander in Iraq. And he would often drill this same phrase in my head that you, when you're leading people, you communicate to avoid chaos. You over-communicate. Why? Because the wrong communication in that given moment and you've shot the tank in the wrong direction and missed your target. You communicate to avoid chaos. And the ins and outs and the brokenness of life, how much sense does it not make to communicate with the one that understands who you are and how everything else works and it's giving you his armor <coughs> to fight the evil one. Second story. Another buddy of mine was in the military, and he said there was one time, because we were talking about the different branches of the military, and he was in the army, and we talked about it, I said, is there really like that big of a difference between Marines and an army, and we were talking through, and he said, yeah, so let me tell you what happened. He said, one time we were stuck. We had gone in thinking we needed to um, take um, charge of an area, and we ran into this building, and we were given wrong information, and the next thing you know, we're ambushed at all sides. And he says, and, what, and fire is coming from everywhere, and it's so loud and it's so chaotic, and you don't know what's happening. So we call in the Marines, and the next thing we know, these, these guys push past me, and this air, airplane comes in, and it was two seconds later, and we were <coughs> asking if I could tell that story before sharing it with you to make this point. You have the armor of God, and you have communication at your fingertips with the one who made you and is defeating Satan. Communicate to avoid chaos. So we close knowing that we have the shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the sword of the spirit. We have prayer. May the Lord guide us on how to use that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need. You please guide us and direct us on how to protect ourselves from the fiery darts of the evil one. And thank you that you have given us one who has crushed the serpent's head, who reigns supreme, our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.